June 2020, when Israel announced its plan to annex territories of the West Bank, there was a lot of confusion and turmoil within the media. There was confusion as to what Israel was planning to do, whether this is justified, and why nothing is being done about it by the international community. The news added more controversy to a topic that has already caused a lot of dispute over decades. In this podcast, I intend to find out more about the annexation plans of Israel, what the annexed territory actually is made up of, and the future of the conflict. I'm Louisa Merza, and in this podcast series, I will be speaking to experts to find out more about global issues that are happening right now. I will be speaking to Dr. Moriel Ram, who is of an Israeli background and a research associate in Israel studies at SOAS University, London, and Dr. Leila Farzah, who is from a Palestinian background and author of the book, Palestinian Labour Migration to Israel. I spoke to both professors to create the previous podcast on the history of the conflict between Israel and Palestine, and this podcast is second in the series. So let's begin by discussing the current annexation plans. Since Israel's occupation of the West Bank in 1967, it has been in direct violation of international law, as it's controlling a territory which is outside of its recognised international borders. The territories that have been under Israel occupation include the West Bank, and this occupation of the West Bank, according to international law, is illegal. Through its annexation plan, which was announced in June 2020, Israel wishes to formalise its authority and control over parts of the West Bank, even though it's mainly home to Palestinians. The territory which the Israeli government recently planned to annex is called the Jordan Valley, which is a strip separating the West Bank of the Jordan River and the East Bank of the Jordan River. The East Bank is under Jordanian control. The territory was captured by Israel from Jordan in 1967 and has been under Israeli occupation since then. The Jordan Valley makes up around 30% of the West Bank. This is a territory which is relatively scarcely populated, although there is one significant Palestinian city, Jericho, in the center of the Jordan Valley. And it is considered as a territory which is vital to Israel's security, even though the Israeli state has no legal ground to claim that this territory should belong to it. Some believe that the reason Israel wishes to maintain control of the Jordan Valley is that it's a buffer between Jordan and Palestine. And some believe that Israel regarded this area as a strategic necessity to prevent the reunion of Palestinians living in the East Bank of the Jordan River and Palestinians living in the West Bank of the Jordan River. The occupation of the West Bank has been stated as illegal. And if that's the case, There's not been much done about it internationally, and we will explore why. There has not been much attempt to force Israel to adhere to the international law due to the Israel and American relationship, especially under the Trump administration. Although there is a strategic alliance between Israel and America, the EU has recognized the need for Palestinians to have a state. But because it's made up of 27 countries, it's hard to come to a decision about the outcome for Israel and Palestine. Palestinians have a lot of supporters in the EU and the UK. 
For example, the boycott, divestment and sanction movement is trying to hold Israel accountable to international law until Palestinians have equal rights and the occupation is over, and it has been generating a lot of civil society support. Although the occupation of the West Bank has been said to be illegal, some Israelis believe otherwise. Israeli scholars and jurists believed that the Israeli-occupied territories weren't occupied at all, since the former sovereign of the West Bank was Jordan, and this, like Israel, wasn't granted the territory. So they believed that when they entered the West Bank, there was no sovereign power, as Jordan wasn't the official or recognised sovereign of the area. Other scholars said that according to the Balfour Declaration in 1917, the British government recognised and endorsed the Jewish national home in Palestine, and so this legitimised their hold of the land. The Israeli government has often taken criticism of its policies to be a proof of anti-Semitism, but many Jewish groups globally have argued that Israel does not represent all Jews, and critique of Israel doesn't mean that one is being anti-Semitic. Many Jewish groups believe that they are a religious group, whereas Israel and Zionist movement is more nationalistic, and therefore criticism of a nationalistic movement is not criticism of Jews as a whole. There is a lot of media portrayal about the humanitarian crisis in the Gaza Strip, and now we will explore what the situation is like in Gaza. Gaza has been said to be a travesty of human rights violation. It has been referred to as an open-air prison where the Palestinians have been living for over a decade. Gaza and other areas within the region that have become hubs of human rights violation show that in this war between Israel and Palestine, in which nations like Britain and America have become involved, civilians are the most affected, and civilians are the ones who are living in a state where they are devoid of basic rights like access to safety and education. While we are experiencing the conflict through news and the media, these civilians are the ones whose lives have become chaotic due to the faults of those in power. Now we will speak about the anticipated future and end to the conflict. The future of the conflict, to be honest, looks rather bleak. Israel has, has actually already annexed the Palestinian territories when you look on the legal infrastructure, when you look on the resource control, and even if the Palestinians will get some kind of a state, it will most be a nominal state. They might have an anthem, they might have several institutions, they won't have control over their airspace, they won't have a control over their borders or their resources. Many believe that the two-state solution isn't applicable. A two-state would mean that there would be a separate state for Israel and a separate state for Palestine. I think if there will be a solution, it will be uh, some kind of a one-state with a regime change. By creating a one-state, we would be giving rise to both communities. That will be the aim for the future, that Jews have rights in Palestine, but not more than Palestinians. The Israel-Palestine state should be renamed and be a place for all its citizens. We will end this podcast with some remarks from my guests on the Israel and Palestine situation. When you go for a visit in Hebron, and today Hebron, which is the second largest city in the West Bank, it is divided between H1, which is most of the city, and under complete Palestinian control, and H2, which from 1997 has become under Israeli control. 
H2 includes most of the old parts of the city. And it's completely became segregated and controlled by the Israeli border police and military. And a place which used to be very lively has become a form of a ghost town uh, because of the occupation, which demonstrates how bad the process of ethnic cleansing have gotten. It has been very depressing. The level of violence over the past 15 years has been incredible. So to try and imagine something hopeful in this, the way I look at it is I see hope in the young generation and I do see hope in the one-state solution and I do see hope in Israelis and Palestinians coming together. And I do see hope in young Israelis that are really concerned with equality. I, I found it fascinating uh, to have students in class, some of them from Israel, some of them from Palestine, some of them from families of Palestinian refugees living in Lebanon. There is a lot of desire to understand better, to get to know better the narratives and stories of both communities, both Israelis and Palestinians, Jews and Arabs. The moment as a lecturer in class really filled me with hope that there is a possibility to get to some kind of better understanding and a better future for both for Israel and Palestine. The content of the podcast is composed of the opinions and experiences of my guests. And of course, many may disagree. I think the main takeaway is that instead of saying that Israel is in the wrong or Palestine is in the wrong, which is often what happens with this topic, we should accept that both states may have their faults, but the civilians do not. It is important not to blame any community or alienate them, but in fact work together and find ways to promote equality and help all those affected to gain their rights. Palestinian civilians have had to leave their homes and many are living in a constant state of fear, anger and disappointment. Instead of blaming each other for this, we should just understand that it's not acceptable for any community to be devoid of human rights. I would like to thank Dr. Ram and Dr. Farzah for their contribution to this podcast. If you have feedback, please do get in touch through LinkedIn or Instagram. I will provide the details in the summary. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.